0: series on uh, We Make the Road by Walking. For those of you who haven't been here the last couple of weeks, it's a book uh, that takes us through 52 weeks of uh, looking at the scriptures. It's a book by uh, a gentleman by the name of Brian McLaren. Uh, Jeff launched us a couple of weeks ago uh, last week. We talked about the third way and how it is vital for us To be able to continue the tradition that God has set before us. And the path to aliveness. To not only honor the past. But to also honor that past. By incarnating um, the intent behind it in the here and now. In other words, uh, if we are simply just compliant. And go along with what was taught and already taught. Then we run the risk of. Cutting off the path to aliveness as it goes forward. God is not interested in us just uh, living lives of uh, paralysis that comes from nostalgia. But Jesus was all about taking the intention behind God's law. The intention behind God had showed up with the Israelites and moving that forward forward. And we explored four different ways and examples that Jesus spoke about that. When Jesus would say, you've heard it said, and I haven't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. You've heard it said, but truly I say unto you. So the idea is that this path uh, of new aliveness is one where we're looking to take what God has shown us and to continue moving forward in uh, the adventure that the Holy Spirit And God the Father and Son are calling us to. So we're continuing that today. And last week uh, we were in Matthew chapter 5. We're picking up with the beginning of Matthew uh, chapter 6 today. And we're going to be talking, as uh, Coach was uh, saying, uh, about practice. About what it means to live that. And we'll call this talk today, uh, Your Secret Life. How do we practice? What do we practice? Uh, Where do we practice? Uh, And how does that lead to us moving forward into this path of aliveness? Uh, Let me go ahead, if you will, just direct your attention to the screen. Let's go ahead and just read through the passage that today is centered on so that we can then discuss what its implications are for us uh, this morning and in going forward. So, starting with Matthew 6, I'm reading out of the New Revised Standard. Beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them. For then you have no reward from your Father in Heaven. So, whenever you give alms, which would have been your offerings or your financial contributions... Do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be praised by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received the reward. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your alms may be done in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And whenever you pray... Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogue and at the street corner so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward. But whenever you pray, go in your room, shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. Uh, for they love. Oh, I'm already past that. When you're praying, do not heap up empty phrases, as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray in this way, and this is our uh, famous the Lord's Prayer: Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And Do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And whenever you fast, do not look dismal like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces so as to show others that they are fasting Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head, wash your face, comb your beard, so that your fasting may be seen not by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Join me, if you will, in this prayer. Father, we pray today for you to teach us how to weep. No wonder the prophet weeps, yet we begin again, but not innocent. As we begin, the powers of globalization surge. There are victims, but we are mostly beneficiaries. There are wars and rumor of wars. There are victims, but we are likely perpetrators. There's violence among women toward the poor, violence that refuses to forgive, and we are a mix a victim and perpetrator. The democratic process continues, but it is mostly devoid of gravitas and our alarm is modest. No wonder there is fear, reams of despair and acres of weeping. And we feebly watch for you and wait. Teach us how to weep while we wait and how to hope while we weep and how to care while we hope. Teach us through this strange, immediate text. Amen. It's heavy today. Hopefully we're not going to stay heavy. But what we need to understand here at the Grove is that there are seasons of life. And more important than getting it right is being real. And this needs to be a community that is a safe place for us to not only celebrate And to take serious the business of heaven, which is joy. But we also need to know what it is as a community to hurt with one another. To grieve with one another. To hug the person next to us. And while we grieve, to hope. And while we hope, to care. You and I understand very clearly that this world needs change. I remember back in 2005 and then in 2007 when there was an updated version of a book that came out. Reading this book and having my small Christian subculture, my paradigm, my world shattered. I began to see things were more important than whether or not uh, we had drums in the church. Or the teens were wearing inappropriate, immodest clothing or... Whether or not tattoos were okay or not. Things that concerned the church I was a part of. The faith that I'd come from that stream of Christianity. And I began to see that there were bigger things in the world that needed addressed. There was more change that needed to be done. There's a book, maybe some of you remember it, by Jessica Williams, a uh, journalist in the U.K., that she wrote called 50 Facts That Should Change the World. It's a series of essays on 50 facts that were happening at that time. And then by 2007, she had written a 2.0 version or an updated version. And so some of these facts have changed. Some uh, have gotten worse as far as statistics go. Some of them have gotten better. But out of those 50 facts, I just wanted to share um, 14 with us today. So I'm going to go through these fast, and we could talk about these uh, forever and what we need to do to see these happen, but but the world needs change. Here are these facts. One in five of the world's people live on less than $1 a day. More than 12,000 women are killed each year in Russia as a result of domestic violence. There are 44 million child laborers in India. Landmines kill or maim at least one person every hour. Seven million American women and one million American men suffer from an eating disorder. In Kenya, bribery payments uh, make up a third of an average household budget. More than 150 countries use torture. Every day, one in five of the world's population, roughly 800 million people, go hungry. More people die each year from suicide than in all of the world's armed conflicts. There are 300,000 child soldiers fighting in conflicts around the world today. There are 27 million slaves in the world today. Americans discard 2.5 million plastic bottles every hour. That's enough bottles to reach all the way to the moon every three weeks. Some 120,000 women and girls are trafficked into Western Europe every year. And children living in poverty are three times more likely to suffer a mental illness than children from wealthy families. Let's sit with that for just a second. Our world needs change. The force of death. Is alive and well. And yet we as followers of Jesus. Commissioned to be ambassadors to the kingdom of heaven, called to be God's hands and feet to the world, know that the forces of life are alive and well. Where sin abounds, grace doth much more abound. The world is in a horrible place, and the world is in a wonderful place. This is the paradox of our culture, of our climate, and of our world. And we want to see change employed. As Christ's followers, we want to see transformation take place. We want to be on the side of good and of life. And of hope, and we are. That's important to note that while we grieve, we hope, and while we hope, we care. I grew up very dedicated and zealous to the Christian faith, I was the Jody of my county. I led the prayer meetings at the pole, and I had the Bible studies, and I started preaching when I was 13, and I did this. True story. All the kids in high school would go, and this is something they used to do. I don't know if they do it here. They would park their cars in the food world parking lot late at night and just sit around and talk and smoke, and I don't know. And the reason I don't know is because every time my car would enter that parking lot. And I would think, I'll go hang out with these people. They would get in their cars and scatter. (laughs) This happened for two years. I had a green Plymouth Valari, So it was a distinct car. And they knew I was coming. And I was popular at school. But I wasn't on the inside in a lot of things. A lot of kids would come to me advice. But... We weren't hanging out all the time. I mean, I was preaching every week. And I'll never forget Tate Shaney Felt. Rest in peace. Was a young man that helped lead to a commitment to Christ. About three weeks of discipleship and me teaching, I'm like, what the heck, Tate? You used to park with all these guys. Why would they get in their cars and leave? And he would say, I'm going to be honest with you, Matt. We all figured we were demon-possessed at least a little bit. And we were scared you'd cast them out of us if you came up. <laughs> but that's what I was taught. I was taught to be world changers, the The generation of Joshua to move us into the promised land. All of these different pieces that everything was about to change the world. I spent 15, 20 years at a university where missionaries and ministers were being trained. And they were come to school as 18 year olds. Called to Africa. Called to South America. Called to Australia. Called to to Moldova. Called to Alabama. They were called all over the place. And I remember experiencing this all the time. And this is the truth we're going to talk about today. They were called to be world changers. But they forsook the names and the faces entrusted to them in their dorm rooms, in their classrooms, and in their hallways. For people they had never yet met continents away. They wanted to change the world without first being faithful to change their world. See, the truth of the matter is, we can at times want to change the big picture so much that we never give ourselves fully to where we're planted. And let me be very clear to you. In my experience, God's not going to entrust you to love those over there if you haven't done the work the practice of loving those here you want to set the world on fire for Jesus speaking myself right now better love my wife first see You want to love and set the nation on fire and bring it back to piety and justice and let revival hit the streets? You better be nice to your kids and your boss. You got to figure out how to love our world. And that's what Jesus is saying to us. See, the primary goal of spiritual life is human transformation. It's not making sure people know where they're going after they die or having... Uh, Helped them to have a richer interior life, or seeing that they have lots of information about the Bible. Although all of these are good things in and of themselves. But let's put first things first. The first goal of spiritual life is the reclamation of the human race, it's morphing time. Got to change. Think Power Rangers. Not only that, but this goal can be pursued full time. For a long time in my own life, a very bad thing happened. I had reduced my tools for spiritual growth to a few activities such as prayer and Bible study or a few periods of the day called a quiet time. I took an embarrassingly long time to learn that every moment of my life is an opportunity to learn from God how to live like Jesus. How to live in the kingdom of God. I had to discover that there are practical concrete ways to help me turn aside to practice living in the now so that I can do what I need to do later. There's a poem I love. It's a poem I would quote often. When my mom passed. We went home for the funeral and I was washing some dishes and I would preached at our church a little earlier before she passed. And I would written on a napkin this poem that I was opening up a sermon with. And uh, when I went home after she had passed, I saw that she had taken that napkin and framed it and put it over the sink where she washed dishes every day. And so it's very important to me. And, and I went and I, I loved it so much I got it tattooed <laughs> on me. Uh, As a reminder uh, and a remembrance of how it impacts me and how it impacted her. But as far as how we should take every moment to figure out how to practice these things that will transform us personally. It's by Elizabeth Barrett Browning. It's just a piece. It says, Earth's crammed with heaven. Every common bush of fire with God. But only those who see take off their shoes the rest just sit round it and pluck blackberries now i love blackberries they're some of my favorite but i'd much rather have and be aware of the presence of the almighty and the divine and god in these moments so that's why we aren't surprised when jesus turns to the dynamics of change in the world beginning with change in our personal lives He shows us how to be the change we want to see in the world. You see, the key concept, according to Jesus, is the opposite of what we might expect. If you want to see change in the outside world, the first step is to withdraw into your inner world. Connect with God in secret and the results will occur openly. In the passage that we're looking at today, that I read aloud for us, Jesus offers Three specific examples of how this withdrawal process works. He talks about giving in secret and praying in secret and fasting in secret. Giving and praying and fasting are often called spiritual disciplines or practices. They're actions within our power by which we become capable, capable of things currently beyond our power. I have an author I like a lot. If you're interested in spiritual disciplines for ordinary people, you should check out a book called The Life You've Always Wanted by John Ortberg. He says in that book that there is an immense difference between training to do something and trying to do something. You see, following Jesus simply means learning from him how to arrange my life around activities that enable me to live in the fruit of the Spirit. Real quick, it's very odd that we as contemporary followers of Jesus Christ think that we can become like Jesus without doing the things Jesus did. If we want to be like Jesus, then we have to do the things that Jesus did. It's not about just learning the proper theology. It's not about just having our systematic uh, theology in order, having the right doctrine or creed or knowing the right worship songs. We actually have to put into practice giving and loving and serving and doing these things in secrecy. If we want our public life to be strong, then we have to start with our practices in secret. Uh, Both McLaren and the book that we're going through and Ortberg uh, use this metaphor of training versus trying and talking about a marathon. I might want to try to run a marathon tomorrow. I think I've shared this with you before. Uh, there's a lot of reasons why that would not work out for me. For the tape, I'm, I'm, I'm holding my gut, right? It's, it's ample. But there's one big enemy to me running a marathon tomorrow, and it might not be what you think. It's not weight. It's not joints. It's the big, horrible C. Chafing. Chafing. Uh, <laughs> It wouldn't work. Even if I could muster up the first several miles, the pain would be too much. Our souls chafe. See, this is what typically happens. We hear a sermon, we hear a call, we read a chapter, we listen to a podcast, and we think... Tomorrow, when I get up in the morning, I'm going to become a kind person. But the problem is, is because we haven't put in the small, simple steps that we can do today, our souls chafe, and we literally can't do it. If you want to run a marathon in six months, you got to start walking and running Today. If you want to be able to hike the A.T., start with the three-fountain loop at Deep Creek. If you want to become a Cicerone and understand the beauties and complexities and nuances of beer, you got to start with something other than P.B.R. today. <laughs> We've got to figure out how not to just try to try to be good Christians. We have to train. ...to be good Christians. And Jesus makes clear that not just any practice will do. We need the right practices employed with the right motives. Practice makes perfect, it turns out, isn't quite accurate. It's truer to say that practice makes habit. And that's why Jesus emphasizes the importance of practicing prayer, fasting, generosity, and secret. If we don't withdraw from public view, we'll habitually turn our spiritual practices into a show for others which will sabotage their power to bring deep change in us. So instead of seeking to appear more holy or spiritual in public than we are in private, Jesus urges us to become more holy or spiritual in private than we appear in public. Let's look quickly through these three examples, and I'm going to condense them for time's sake today, but... Number one, giving to the poor. Jesus says, hey, when you're going to give to the poor, don't let your left hand uh, know what your right hand is going to do. In other words, don't, don't do it in a big show. When it comes to giving the poor, Jesus says, don't publicize your generosity like the hypocrites. By giving in secret, you'll experience the true reward of giving. And a lot of us have found that a good way to make a secret giving habitual is to give on a regular basis as a percentage of our income. As our income increases over time, we can increase our standard of giving and not just our standard of living. I just want to make an aside here real quick. I have concerns about how the church is moving into the way we give. I feel like what we're doing more and more these days, and I, I feel this temptation myself, is to give to feel good the uh, faddishness of giving. Again, when I when I worked at the university where I helped train ministers, we had somewhere around forty to fifty different short-term missionary groups that would go to different locations every school year. It was a lot, led by students themselves. And one of the things that I found out is that A lot of times people would go to where they thought it was the hippest place to go. And going on a missionary trip wasn't to really be there with the people that were there and to hurt with them and to point out the God who was already at work in their midst. Not to build long-term relationships, but it was a badge. We, I I had a group group. And we went to, we went to India on in spring break and worked at Mother Teresa's house for the dying. And we went to Colorado to Breckenridge, home of the nicest ski resorts in the country and in the world. And my Breckenridge team had a uh, had a slogan that we rallied around, and it might surprise you. But the slogan, we had t-shirts, we got it on cups and mugs, was, suck it, Zambia. I'll tell you why. (laughs) The reason we went to Breckenridge, Colorado, is because unless 2% of Summit County, Colorado, identifies Christian, it's one of the most atheistic, least Christian places in the nation The God there is play. And we had this team of kids who wanted to know what it was like to truly go and serve people who were profitable, accomplished, but atheists. We called it a reverse missions trip because we went there to learn as much as we did to give they didn't really have anything other than Jesus that we could give them. And they didn't think they needed Jesus. But one of the days, one of the young guys, named name was Stokes, was crying during our prayer meeting. He's like, I'm just so tired of people thinking that we're just going not to love people and learn, but to just go and ski. Which, by the way, we skied one day out of week. It wasn't about that he says, there's these people who are going on the mission trip to Zambia who keep telling me how Zambia is more important than Colorado. And they're true Christians because they're serving Zambia. And he said, I just want to say, God, suck it, Zambia. It's not that there aren't people in Zambia who need God and love God, but there are people in Breckenridge, Colorado who need God as well. And I get concerned that we give in a faddish manner. That it's not about a spiritual discipline to transform us anymore. That's why I like how we do missions at the Grove. We go to Guatemala, but we go to Guatemala every year. And we go to Guatemala with other teams, and we have long standing relationships with them. And it's not just the cool, hip place to go, we're actually building relationships, learning from them as much as what we're giving to them in stoves. This week is our Guatemala focus for our Lenten practices. If you'll see over there, we have these little pink sheets and these are practices for the 40 days of Lent to involve yourself with. And then there are also these on your tables, which is basically every day a spiritual practice so that we can stand in solidarity with our people and team in Guatemala. Learn the names, become familiar with the mission. Go the entire day without wearing shoes. That won't be hard for some of you. But we have to figure out how to give in a way that is not about just feeling good, but is about what is actually helping and sustaining us and transforming us from the inside. The second thing is prayer. He says pray in secret. He says don't just mumble and say things like the pagans do. But pray this way. And he gives the Lord's prayer. Where he says orient yourselves to God. Our father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Align our greatest desire with God's greatest desire. May your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Bring God our needs and desires. Both physical and spiritual. As he speaks about. And then finally, preparing ourselves for the public world into which we will soon re-enter, Asking to be guided away for trials and temptations that could ruin us. And instead, asking to be liberated from evil. And then after giving in secret and praying in secret, he says, fast in secret. Whatever you fast, do not but do, he says. Don't try to look all sad and disheveled like those who make spirituality a performance. Instead, keep your hunger a secret. Let every moment when your stomach is growling be a moment when you affirm to God, more than my body desires food, I desire you, Lord. More than my stomach craves fullness, I crave to be full of you. More than my tongue desires sweetness or salt, my soul desires your goodness. So Jesus teaches... If we make our lives a show stage for others to avoid their criticism or gain their praise. We will not experience. The reward of true aliveness. It's only in secret in the presence of God alone that we begin the journey to aliveness. You see, the world won't change. Unless we change. And we won't change unless we pull away from the world's games and pressures. And secrecy and solitude and God's presence. A new aliveness can, like a seed, begin to take root. And if that life takes root in us, we can be sure it will bear fruit through us. Fruit. That can change the world. God, we're thankful that you're at work amongst us, and we know the world needs to be changed, and we're honored to be your hands and feet in this world to help bring about that change. And we know it's not enough to just try to be the people you want us to be. (laughs) Like William in wrestling, or like AJ in the guitar, we need to train every day doing what we can barely do so that a year from now it's easy for us to do and we can move forward into stronger things help us to grow the strength of stamina as it relates to our faith to do the right thing in the right way for the right reason at the right time teach us what it is lord to to give in secret help us as a community to avoid giving just to feel good but to give because we know it's transforming where our desires are teach us what it is to pray and do our spirituality in secret first and foremost so that we become people of character who when asked to do things in public, to respond to the prompting of your Holy Spirit, we have the stamina and the ability to do so because we've done the prayer, we've done the study, we've done the anonymous gifts, we've done acts of kindness that are intentional and small so that we can do great things when called to teach us what it is to to fast secret. Teach us not to bear a martyr mentality or to tell people or show people how awesome we are or how broken or how messed up we are because the world persecutes us but instead teach us to be salt and light that transforms from the inside. You are most definitely a great God. And we ask you to allow us to do the small thing in great ways so that when prompted we can do the great things. We love you. We thank you. Stand to your feet if you will and let's, let's with the band in worship. Stay standing for just a second. Uh, you may have noticed that several people are wearing these shirts today. You see, God has called us first and foremost to change our own world before we can change the world at large. But there are folks in our community right now, they may not be in this room, who need our help because they can't form themselves yet. And that's our children. And that's our students. And we're entrusted to help them do this transformation and learn these practices so that they, when they become of the right age, can turn them into their own practices. If you look when you leave today at the back of uh, the room at that board, you'll see that we have some things up for our Wamba, which is our koalas and kangaroos, our little ones. Then we have our monkeys and crocs. And then we have our upstreet, which is our K through 5. And then downstairs, we also have our 11th hour, which is our middle school and high school. Today, we're inviting you. I'm extending a personal invitation To join us in forming our children. To forming our families. We need workers. And we need workers who are high school dropouts. And accountants. And senior citizens. And uh, everything that we can do. We want people who love Jesus. And who love our kids. And so this is what we're asking. We're asking first that everybody in this church. Would commit to be a part of our cheerleading team. I would ask you today to decide in your hearts to intentionally catch our students doing things right. Drop them a letter. Tell them you saw something nice. If you see them do a good thing, even if it's just a bright smile when you come in on Sunday mornings, we want you to be a part of their cheerleading team, helping them know that they are loved and accepted. The second is you may not have a lot of time and you may not like kids. We invite you to be a part of our resource team. We're hoping that you like kids eventually. But even if you don't, you got stuff and we can use your stuff. So if you've got a cabin, if you've got board games, if you've got athletic equipment, we have a resource list out there. And if you looked at it and you said, yeah, I got that. I can volunteer that. Check that off for us. And then we're looking for another one that I hope almost all of you will commit to, and that is our prayer team. I just really ask... These students have a lot going on in their lives. And all you have to do is turn on the news and you'll see it. Would you you prayerfully consider spending five minutes a day praying for the teens of our church and our community? For the children of our church and our community? Prayer moves the arm that moves the world. And we need you to commit that way. And then we have our hands-on team. And that is, if you love teens, if you love little ones, if you are great with them, we need you. We need you on Sunday mornings. We need you on Wednesday nights. So please consider that. So here's the deal. We want to change our world. To do so, we first have to change ourselves. We do that not for the public adoration of the crowds. We do that for the approval of the audience of one. And we ask that you would think about that with the kids. We also ask that you would stand in solidarity with our team from Guatemala this week. Take those cards with you. So anyway, safe touch, high five, hug, love someone appropriately before we leave. You're blessed. Go.